Welcome to the Growth Kung Fu Podcast, a podcast in which we share the best growth stories and insights from Asian startups for Asian startups. I'm Wai Hoi, and my co-founder, Pradish, unfortunately couldn't make it today. But today, we have the pleasure to be joined by Jeffrey Payne, the managing partner at Golden Gate Ventures. Great to have you here today, Jeff. Nice to have you too. So, Jeff, we saw you a couple of months ago at the Silicon Dragon event in, in Hong Kong. And one of the things that people can immediately notice about you is, is really the depth of your experience. You show yourself to be well-connected, well-spoken, well-versed in everything startups in the region. But once upon a time, you started as a KPMG consultant. Uh, and over time, you took leadership positions in a range of venture funds. So today you are founding a managing partner at Golden Gate Ventures, director at the Founder Institute in Singapore, as well as a mentor in uh, China Accelerator. Can you talk us a little bit through how you got where you are here today? So I'm born and raised in Singapore. I uh, went to school in LA and then started in the IT consulting field in LA and Mountain View for a while, a couple of years. So there, thereafter, you know, we have clients in the startup space and technology space, but uh, thereafter I was recruited back to Singapore to start a fund for a listed company. So that was like the beginning of kind of learning how to set up a fund and how to set everything up from nothing. So so it was like the, the sharpest learning curve yet. It took me a year to figure out what's going on. And how to do things and what's uh, what's the landscape like in Singapore because I, I wasn't in the venture space before I wasn't there before so so that's how I started and so that was a while now I think 2000 2001 and ever since then I've always been in funds so, so yeah. you know, I bounced around to private equity and came back to venture capital tried my hands in different industries but ultimately still still extremely attracted and to the technology space yeah so I technically came back down to technology in 2009 and that's where I brought a program called Founder Institute from the, the valley to Singapore um, I think at that time Singapore was the fifth chapter globally first in Asia um, again didn't really know what I'm doing just kind of <laughs> learn from the best yeah. in the west and Mm -hmm. uh, did what I can, brought a bunch of mentors uh, to Southeast Asia from the US because I did I did find a gap. Uh, there was a big mentor mentorship gap in 2009 and 2010. Mm -hmm. And then thereafter, gradually, you know, we, we opened a lot more chapters in Southeast Asia. I met my uh, co-founder now at Golden Gate Ventures while he was backpacking. I asked him to mentor in Singapore, Jakarta and Hanoi. So he did that, and after his one year of uh, backpacking, then we had a few insights, Then that was like 2011, and then we figured out that there were very good teams in Southeast Asia, but very little money, mm -hmm. especially um, early stage money that understands technology um, or technology investing. So yeah. instead of him starting a new company and me joining a fund, we decided, maybe we should start a fund, just, just so that we can fill this gap. We don't know whether it will be big, whether it will work, we have no idea. Mm -hmm. We just know that there is a demand for smart capital. Very cool. So you said when you first got into it, it took you around a year before you fully got the hang of it. If you could give your younger self a little bit of advice, like what, what would that be in order to like, you know, reduce the amount of learning time you needed? Good question. I think that there isn't any... So my, my, my two senses, 
you have to read a lot and meet a lot of people and do a lot of things because the venture business changes over time. Mm-hmm. Startups in tech, how it's created, how it's run, how it's managed, it changes over time. So from what I know now, it doesn't apply back then anymore. Right. right? So everything changes. So I, I would only say always keep up to date, always read a lot. And what would you if read at all you? possible, start a company. Okay. Which is kind of weird, but that's that's that's, <laughs> that's the way. And what would you read if you uh, started out today? If it's today, I I I will not read books. I'll read blogs. Okay. So I'll read blogs from you know, the, the people that you want to be potentially want to be. Yeah. Read what they write. I'll be pretty religious at, at, at subscribing to good content from Medium dot com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Anybody in particular, like uh, Ben Horowitz, Mark Andreessen, like Kleiner Perkins? Yeah, most of them are good. I I would suggest, let's see, um, there's a newsletter from Mm -hmm. metamark.com. Just subscribe to that and read read whatever they curate. Okay. So they curate stuff extremely well. So just just do that. And then figure out places. I think there's one, I don't know, what's it called? Deal Flow or something by Thompson. Deal Sheet, Deal Flow, something like that, where they track all the deals being done. Venture, PE, you know all the exits, mm-hmm. all the people moving around. It's a daily, it's a daily email. That that is good. So uh, yeah, and if you can kind of uh, aggregate a bunch of tech blocks from different countries, so US, like you can subscribe to you know TechCrunch and mm-hmm. China, you can look at TechNote or, or IT IT Jits or something like that, mm-hmm. um, or thirty six KR India. There's a bunch there. Yes, in Southeast Asia, you have Tech in Asia and E27. So I would kind of subscribe a bit of everything, especially regions that you're not familiar with, you know, like the CIS region in Russia, South America, places that you you probably never ever go, but you just need to be kept aware of what's going on. So if you were starting out, like just uh, in terms of like a couple of tips for for people looking to to get into your space and basically become your competitor, like what, what would you tell them? Maybe yeah, like maybe three things. Like you have to be a like a a scholar of businesses and business models, mm-hmm. which means you have to read a lot. You have to you have to be interested in new companies. You have to be interested in why this company make money, why this company fail. Mm-hmm. So inherently, you 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 have to be a curious person trying to figure out shortcuts, trying to figure out. Just cool stuff, right? It's just a, a personality thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, if possible, you should have some kind of a, you should have some experience launching something. So whether you started a company, whether you you started a side project, whether you you and you know two classmates pull in money to launch an app mm-hmm. on the side, doesn't matter. You have to try to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to like literally sell your house and start a company. You just have to have the experience of launching something. Yeah. Because most people don't have that and they think it's easy. But once you have done it before, then you know how hard it is. Then you you have um, something we call a founder empathy. You, you kind of understand what founders go through, what things are in, in their head, what are they prioritizing or not prioritizing, and how are they spending money, correct way, wrong way, smart way. You know, a stupid way, whichever way. So that's the second thing. So I would recommend people just to start. You know, just build an app for yourself that costs five hundred bucks. Just try it. 
just million things you will learn from there. Third one is the hardest one to do would be uh, to learn how to read people. Yeah, this is the hardest things to do. So I think that's why. What does that mean, uh, reading people? Uh, the ability to judge people within within fifteen minutes. Okay. Right. When you meet someone first for the first time, you are able to kind of bucket them into a few buckets. <laughs> um, that takes a bit of time, a bit of experience, a bit of mistakes. Right? You trust somebody wrongly, and uh, I think most of you with experiences, you know, social or professional, you 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 have been down some kind of a road, right? You have trusted the wrong people, you mm-hmm. have trusted the right people, you have seen a certain pattern of people that you like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they may not suit you as a co-founder, but they may suit as an investee, right? You mm-hmm. could invest in them, but actually not work with them. So just figure out, mm, yeah, I think uh, along life and along, you know, along, along your career path, you, you have to kind of learn how to judge people. The best way is actually to have a mentor slash someone senior. Mm-hmm. And every time you meet somebody new, you just ask him, like, what do you think of this guy? Yeah. Is he full of shit? Is he, <laughs> yeah. is he green and know nothing but pretends he knows something? Okay. Is he super trustworthy and he actually cannot lead a team because everyone will bully him? Yeah. Or her, right? Like, you, you have to kind of compartmentalize different people. Yeah. You touched on it a little bit, and when when you say you put people in certain buckets, like what's I mean from the perspective of Golden Gate Ventures, what's somebody who fits in the right bucket from your perspective? Like what what do they have in common? Progress. I think it's sim- I think it's uh, you know uh, trustworthy, extremely transparent, you know hus- hustler, go getter kind of guy or girl. Sometimes you know. Uh, they they break down walls to get things done. Sometimes the good things, the bad things. So it's, it's many personalities, you, mm-hmm. you, you touches the line of potentially crossing some line. Yeah. So different people, different firms sometimes like different types of people. Okay. Some firms like you know more senior guys. Some firms like introvert hacker types. Right. And some firms like you know suave salesy types. Right. So so it depends, but uh, I think we we tend to like more hacker culture type people, okay. more hustling, more you know a lot of grit. Uh, they get things done without asking. Yeah, they, they know what they can do, what they they know what they are good at, what they're bad at, and mm-hmm. they're very honest what they're good at and what they're bad at. Yeah, they don't they don't try to pretend. Yeah. So if I was a startup founder, what would I have to come with in order yeah. to convince you? So. I think it changes over time, right? So I think in the beginning, everyone was trying to learn, including us, we were trying to learn what works. Um, and it goes by waves. And then now with four or five years of data, we can kind of tell what companies will be big, what companies will be kind of small SMEs, and what mm-hmm. company will fail. So I would say the company needs to understand what they are. I think in Southeast Asia, there are three types, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's four types. So there is the no matter what you do, you will still die type. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly? It doesn't matter what you do, you will run out of money and you will die. Right? Okay. So unless you super com- you know completely pivot to a consulting company or whatever. So those means wrong idea, wrong market, wrong people, not just everything wrong. Okay. Then you have the global from day one guys, which is less than 10%. So they are a global company, global app, global product, 
but they happen to come from Southeast Asia. Those are very few and far between. And those guys, the dynamics changes when they, you are now global. Right? You, you have multiple uh, competitors everywhere mm-hmm. with different levels of funding and, and sort of competitive landscape. Then the third one is they are regional from day one. So they have aspirations to be in Southeast Asia. They have to start from one country before they go out. They kind of know what to do after they dominate one country. So those are probably 20-30%. percent mm-hmm. Then majority are actually one country companies. So I'm number one in this in Thailand. I'm number one in this in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Some of them know that. Some of them actually don't know that. So, so the, the problem comes where they think they are regional, but they are actually local. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that is where the disconnect comes in. And some of them actually know that. They kind of, oh, I'm happy with just one country. Okay. I have no aspirations. Yeah. I don't care. Don't ask me to do anything. I just want to do this thing. Um, so when you have these four types, then the investors just need to know, they need to know what to pick. Obviously, the first one nobody wants to touch. So maybe 80-90% of companies don't raise money because that's the reason. Yeah. Or they don't raise institutional money. Right? They raise friends and family and then they can't mm-hmm. raise money anymore and then they will either die, they will do a, a loan and then they will pivot to a consulting company. Mm-hmm. Then the global from day one, guys, our investors here don't know how to help them because we are a lot more local and a lot more regional. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to help them go to the US or go Europe or whatever. It's super hard. That's why a lot of them, not many to begin with, because it's extremely hard to be. Like yeah. The top five in the world is extremely hard to do that. But the outcome might be big. Mm-hmm. So there are still investors kind of like, oh, I'm kind of keen to take a bet on it. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the, uh, the last two is the one that is tricky. Everybody wants you know, a company to be regional because you have a bigger market size. Mm-hmm. But the reality is very difficult to be regional. And then if you're only one country, then it's too small. Mm-hmm. Then I might as well don't invest. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just too small. Then yeah. you're SME. And you give me uh, a 3x return, then I might as well don't do this. I might as well yeah. do private equity or something. Yeah. yeah. So that is the problem. The problem is... So you say no to get Investors more. may know what they want, but yeah. they may find a company that is not what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the founder side. Right? They think they can be regional, but they actually cannot be regional. Um, so that, that, that comes a disconnect. Talking again about the, the small guys, right? Let's say you're you're a couple of months in, you're starting to think of uh, you know down the line you're you're going to tap into uh, some of the capital that, the capital that's available, but you you're still some ways into setting yourselves up for for a successful interview. So what do you need to do in order to achieve that product market fit across multiple countries in the region? So now it's slightly different, right? So mm-hmm. this year has been a slow year, and a lot of people are. Right, checking checking on their criteria. Mm-hmm. It depends on country. So if I'm from Southeast Asia and I'm kind of early stage, generally there's two buckets. There is the make money bucket mm-hmm. and then there is the grow super fast bucket. Mm-hmm. So, so there will be investors that now prefer a little bit more the please make money, tell me when you break even bucket. And then there is still investors who like the you know, okay, Grow for seven years, don't make money. Uh, never mind. Okay. Okay. 
two, three years ago, you know, I think the growth story is a bit more interesting because they have seen it everywhere, India, China, US. Now, I think especially in B2B, they, they want to see the money like really, really quickly. B2C as well, right? they want to make sure monetization is clear. Mm-hmm. There is no guessing. It's fairly straightforward. So product market fit is one thing. In fact, it's product beachhead market fit plus unique economics fit, mm-hmm. plus founder fit. <laughs> so all these four <laughs> have to line up. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So the product that you really want to build may not work in the country you are born in. Mm-hmm. So that, that brings in the founder market. Mm-hmm. You have to fit. Maybe it should exist in Myanmar and you should move to Myanmar. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, oh, I have to move to Myanmar. Huh, maybe I'll work for a bank. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> okay. Right? So that's the first thing. Yeah. Founder, beachhead market may not fit. The f- the product, beachhead market may not fit the founder. Mm-hmm. And then once these three lines, then your unit economics needs to be a little bit clearer much earlier, not much later, like much earlier. So there lies the need to bootstrap. There lies the need to launch fast. There lies you know, the need to raise small amount to go to market and try to test all revenue models, all pricing models, and quickly realize whether it's a worthwhile business to do. Mm-hmm. Some business, you only need one, two rounds of family money and you bring them. Mm-hmm. You don't ever need our money mm-hmm. because you're going to be a small SME that grows 5% a year. Um, and that's perfectly okay, right? It's okay. You don't have to give us all the equity. But the trick is to get that high growth part, which is extremely difficult. So... Everyone should yearn for that, right? I mean, if you're spending 10 years of your life building something big and meaningful, why don't you reach for the stars? Yeah. But it's extremely difficult to figure out a way to get there. So you you sometimes need a fallback plan. You sometimes need something that is more realistic, mm-hmm. but may fall out of the venture model completely. So just be aware. Yeah, right now, what I'm pissed off is a lot of tech founders always want to raise money. Mm-hmm. Everything they do have to raise money. They have to raise money to launch a company. I'm like, no. Oh yeah, I have this. So I have to raise money. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to raise money. Yeah. Um, so they don't understand. Right? Because they're they are newbies, they don't understand. So how do you balance that out? Like so when you when you look at the books when, when somebody comes in like and they they haven't achieved the break even state yet, but you like what what needs to be seen in terms of potential in order to make that a valuable investment for you? I think the first thing is the team. Second thing is what they're building. Third mm-hmm. is are they going to be number one? And then is the country big enough? And are they able to expand, right? Yeah. So the first few things is kind of like super early stage stuff, right? Like people and team is a key thing. And then they build, they can build things. And then they can launch. They can actually collect money. They actually can be number one in one country. That's already extremely hard to do. Right. Then from us, we're kind of like, okay, if it's a one country play, then we can invest, but don't invest so much. Yeah. Because the valuation is not going to be very high. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't expect a high valuation because they're not going to go out of one country anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So it could be a decent bet with a decent return in a small way. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, some investors will be like, oh, no, 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 I'm never going to do that, mm-hmm. which is up to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... If you're going to raise a 100 million fund, you better you better return a lot. To return a lot, you can't do a one-country play. Yeah. Right? But if you have a smaller fund, you can. Because mm-hmm. you can do 20, 
you know, five and ten, five to ten can return a lot. The rest can return, you know, three, five x. It's okay. Um, so it depends on how criteria are set for funds and and yeah, we see funds or venture fund. But right now, most people are kind of like regional or nothing. Right. right. Yeah, but for founders, it's extremely hard to have a regional thing. One, you either have to move super fast so that the copycats won't catch you. That means you have to launch in two cities, you have to raise a lot of money up front and then try to... Because the copycat will come. Mm -hmm. Or you have something that nobody has, which doesn't exist. Right? Mm -hmm. 90% of things here are copycat so there's nothing that you have that nobody has yeah right you give me money you give me 6 months I go to Vietnam I'll have it yeah. there's no such thing as you have I don't have right so it's about speed mm -hmm. and it's about timing and it's about who likes you more right like which investor likes you more sometimes mm -hmm. it's not completely a different play from the US the US also have the same kind of thing serial entrepreneurs can raise money before they launch something they can raise a lot of money and then attack a category much earlier than somebody new from you know fresh out of Stanford. Mm -hmm. right. This is your fourth company, you know what you're doing. You have maybe 10 VCs who have backed you before. So you want to raise money, it's very easy. Mm -hmm. So so as the ecosystem becomes more dense, it's worse because there's more serial guys coming out to right. launch things. Right. And then the newbies are fighting the serial guys uh -huh. instead of the another newbie. Right. Right. So uh -huh. yeah, it gets harder and harder. So mm -hmm. Over the last four, five years, it gets harder to start a company now. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. Sure. Um, where can our listeners find more from you online? You can hit me up on LinkedIn, no problem. You can message me there. You can tweet me at uh, jpain. I think it should be in your, in your show notes. Excellent. You can, listeners, you can find more from us at growthkungfu.com. Uh, thank you for listening and speak to you soon.